Hey, good morning. Today's daf is daf Nun Dalit. Today's shiz Le'ilu Nishma as Rivka Bas Yaakov. May no Shama Ali and her memory be a blessing. Um, we're going to go from the second last line of Nun Gimel Amud Beis 53b. So remember yesterday we were discussing um, this clause in the Ksuba that the daughters get sustained from the Ksuba and we were asking five questions on... S- Special scenarios where the daughter, where, where, where we have a question whether the daughter should be um, receiving sustenance, largely to do with whether the the they get largely to do the state with the status of the ksuba and whether the mother can. So it starts by Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer asked, "Bas does a daughter from one of the secondary arayos?" Receive mezonos or not? It will expl- we'll explain the question shortly. But remember, um, it's a, there's there's arayos that are only, that are isure drabonon, and therefore, and part of the penalty of them is the woman does not get a ksuba. So I mean, amongst the shneos is a grandmother. So if someone marries their grandmother or something like that, one of the shneos, they would not get, the woman would not get a ksuba. So now we want to know what about the child from that union says do we say since there's no ksuba there's no mazonas that's one of the conditions in the ksuba is that the daughters get sustained from the estate after the father's death the mother who's doing the isur the rabbis penalized her and said she doesn't get a ksuba the law if the usura However, this woman, this daughter herself, she hasn't done anything also. It's not her fault that her parents got married illegally. So the rabbis didn't penalize her, and she still gets it. Teku, they leave it unresolved. So uh, interesting theoretical question that we don't resolve. Next question: Boy Rover, bas arusa yesh or ein If someone has a daughter as an arusa. Does that daughter get mezonos or not? I, if the, I mean, it's a, uh, you can debate, doesn't make a difference, but a man, we know that a couple are only supposed to be intimate after Nisuyin, but this couple were intimate during a Rusin and they had a daughter. Now, is that, now, what's the question based on? Maybe since there is a Ksuba, she gets, does get mezonos. There's a, um, a little bit of a, yeah, I'll come back to the difficult, but since there is a ksuba, there is, she does get. Since the rabbis don't say, only instituted that you have to write the ksuba at the time of Nisuyin, so this daughter was born before the ksuba was written, so maybe none of the clauses in the ksuba have kicked in, so therefore she should not get mezonas and take her, it leaves it unresolved. It's a little bit tricky. Um, in this piece that you have to establish first is what's again we know that the rabbis only institute writing the ksuba from Nisuyen but when does it kick in does it kick in at Eirusin or only once it's written and if it's written early would it kick in early um, yeah, let me see. yeah Rashi <coughs> pardon is it dated on the time that the um, that it's written, or is it dated on the time that it kicks in? As far as I know, when it's written. But remember, the 
husband is liable to pay the 200 or 100 if it's a widow he married from the Erusin. Okay. The Ross just brings you interesting from the Ravid. He says, Varavad Zal Perush, Bas Arusa Shin says, when we're discussing this Bas Arusa that married, it's, it's after Erusin. And the question is, since she was born before the Ksuva, um, I, unlike what happens if they just did Erusin and then they had a child and then they never did Nisuin. So the Ravid and the Rosh is happy with this Pshat that um, with, she would not definitely not have a claim on the Mazonus of their status, specifically because they subsequently got married, did Nisuyin. The question is, on this daughter who was born before the Ksuva was written, is the daughter included in any daughters that I have from you should, um, will be sustained, will, will be su- supported from the estate. Because obviously if they never ever did Nisuyin, the wife doesn't get the support, so the daughter obviously also would not get support. Um, then, boy Rav Papa, Another question, Rav Papa asked, Regarding the daughter of a girl who was raped. So we know that way. We saw this earlier on in the Masechta. If a man rapes a young girl, he has to marry her, and he's not allowed to divorce her. As we'll see, one of the flip sides of that is there's no kasuba, because one of the reasons for the kasuba is to make it expensive for the husband to divorce his wife, and if he'll, he'll think twice about it. So this girl who he has to marry, and he's not allowed to divorce her, doesn't, as we'll see according to the one opinion, doesn't get a ksuba. So he says, um, so does this girl born to this marriage where the marriage is a result, the marriage is a result of the rape, says, I'm obviously not asking you according to Rabbi Yossi who says that she does have a ksuba of a money. I mean, she obviously has a ksuba, so then the daughter, any daughters that they have from that marriage will be included in the ksuba that they get sustenance from the, supported from the estate. Kiti boilach, when am I asking you my question? According to the Rabbonin, the Omri Yotso Kesef Knosa Biksubosa. The Rabbonin, their opinion is that the payment of the knas counts as the ksuba. And my, um, my what's the halacha? Again, as we said, what the payment is, yeah, says, maybe since there's no ksuba in this marriage, the daughter also doesn't have this claim to mezonas, to sustenance. Or maybe we say, what's the reason there's no ksuba? Sorry, well, what's the reason that we have a ksuba? That it is not light in this man's eyes to divorce his wife. And he can't divorce her. Again, that's the reason there's no ksuba. So we should still have mazonas. Again, only the clause, the part of the ksuba that is to is to say, don't, don't <coughs> divorce her, that's fallen away because he can't divorce her. But the rest of the ksuba, for example, the mazonas for the daughter, that should still apply. And right. Teiku, he leaves that unresolved again, yes. But can't she divorce him? Uh, she, uh, I mean, firstly, very, uh, on a very strict speaking level, a wife can't ever divorce her husband. It has to come from the husband. Oh, so... He has to, um, there are scenarios where, obviously, if the wife complains and whatever, then she can go to Bayesden and Bayesden will try and motivate him to divorce her. But, but divorce, divorce does come but from us. But Einachinami, if she doesn't want to remain married to him, then like any other marriage, they could get divorced.
but get, she's, uh, she, she wouldn't have the ksuba because at but least the ksuba is 200. Still, uh, he still has to yeah, he would still have to be the one to, um, well, retroactive, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, initiate the get. But so if she wants to get divorced, then there's no ksuba anyway. Yeah. Ah, so that leads to the next question on all these, uh, yeah. So on all these, um, again, because the 200 and 100 was primarily instituted to protect her from divorce. So if she's the one who wants to get divorced, that's another important point. If a woman commits adultery, <laughs> uh, she's the one who's causing them to have to get divorced, she's not going to get her super out. You tell that to the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so then... Yeah, so then there's an interesting question. A lot of these questions we have to, we, we're always asking from the perspective of this daughter, does she get sustenance from the estate? So her parents were married because of a rape, so there was no standard ksuba. Is there still the condition of the ksuba that the daughter gets fed? We would have the same, or the previous question we asked, so that actually applies to most of the questions, but the previous question we asked, a daughter born during a rusin, so there's no ksuba yet. Does she still get sustenance from the estate? After her, well, obviously her parents get married, and Baruch Hashem, after 120 years, the father dies. I mean, I don't know, she's going to be a bit, the ages are not going to line up, but the father dies, does she get sustenance from the estate? <coughs> so that's the. Uh, <coughs> but how do they record it? Because uh, ah, so after we saw, 100 years, uh, yeah. so we're not going to say no. Yeah. So we by, saw in uh, the Mishnah, all these are considered snake suba, that even if they're not recorded in the suba, they are effective. They're, they're automatic inclusions by the rabbinic court, so any court will know they're there. These questions would be, would this girl, girl fall under? So the heirs are going to come along and say, well, this girl was bought, born before our father wrote the ksuba, because she was born before Nisiyan. Or there was no ksuba for our mother because they got married because of a rape. Or the case of a Yavoma where the ksuba is on the previous marriage. All those scenarios... There's no, the, for whatever reason, the ksuba's not there in its normal form. So is this condition. So, But to extend it, you have the same question on the wife. We know the wife gets sustained from the estate as long as she's a widow. And we'll go into that a bit more, as long as she's a widow in her husband's house. So she gets sustained from the estate. Mm-hmm. So would she still get sustained from the estate in these cases? Or has, or is there no ksuba? And I guess we could ask the same question on the Bini Nukhrin. If there was a dowry... Do the male sons inherit the, the specific part of the ksuba as if there was a ksuba or as if it was a normal ksuba, even though there's not the normal ksuba in these cases? So you can ask that same question on each of the different conditions in the ksubas, and they analyze and say why you would say one way over the other. I did notice the Rishonim say for the, at least the last two questions, it would be the same thing whether you're discussing the mother or whether you're discussing the daughter. It's just all the questions are asked in the system of What's the status regarding the daughter? Okay. Is it, is it uh, different with the male? Well, remember the sons don't get sustenance from the estate, they inherit the estate. But they're not penalized uh, because, uh, uh, because they married... Uh, no, they would inherit their father. Um, <coughs> every, yeah, everyone inherits their father regardless of their status and their connection to their father. Oh, I mean, all, yeah, all the standard laws of inheritance apply, if I remember correctly. Okay, then um, the next clause that the Mishnah discussed in the Ksuba was, oh, just one interesting thing I heard last night from Rabbi Rosner. He said from the, I don't remember the name of, I think in the name of the Kedusha Slavi, but basically from, 
Rav Levi Yitzchak of Bidichov, he says, why is it always teiku they say? Look, I don't know if this is accurate, but the, there's a yeshivish idea that the word teiku, so it means we leave it unresolved. So the first question you always have to ask, so halachically, how do we do it? This case comes to your, I mean, we've come through our chest, there are hundreds of some more likely, some less likely, but if you have a teiku, how do you resolve it? So that's a whole uh, interesting study in its own right. Generally with monetary cases, you would say, you want to take estate from the stuns, you want to take support, you would have to prove. So in these cases, we would, she wouldn't, because it's a taiku, she wouldn't necessarily get sustenance. That would be the, one of the general ways of resolving a taiku in a monetary case. But if it's isur, it might depend whether it's Torah or Drabon, and there's a big discussion around how to deal with takus. But, but what is, there's a yeshivish idea that what does taiku stand for? Tishbi yetaret kushius uvayos. Tishbi, Eliyahu Anovi, will come in the future and he will answer, Yetaret is answer, all the questions that we have. So basically he's saying, when we say Teiku, we're saying Eliyahu, we're going to have to wait till Eliyahu Hanovi. So Rebbe Levi Yitzhak asks, why doesn't it say something like Meiku, Moshe Rabbeinu? In the time of Trias HaMesim, when we're saying that Eliyahu Hanovi can come and answer the questions, Moshe will be around. So why are we going to Eliyahu Hanovi? Why are we not going to Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, interestingly enough, there's, a, there's an important principle that basically <coughs> any sage can have someone argue on him. See, Rabbi Akiva has his, those who argue on him. Um, Rava has a bayar argue on him. Every sage, someone can argue it. Um, Sanhedrin always had people arguing. Comes along uh, with Moshe Rabbeinu, there was no one who could argue with him. He was direct from Hashem. What he said went. Interesting, we find they questioned his psakim sometimes and he would check it with Hashem and sometimes he turns out. But in general, of any sage could argue. And think there's even a question, I mean, now we're very reluctant and depends where you are in, the, I don't know, the more modern conservative to the more Haredi, how uh, strict you are with these principles. But we generally won't argue with the Rishon. So no one very unlikely will find a sage nowadays arguing with the Rambam or the Rashba or Rashi or Tosfos because they were just far beyond us. But there's definitely no Isu, at least how we generally look at it. But we never argue with someone in the Gomorrah. But even that, there's a big question. Where does the Gomorrah get that authority that no one can argue with it? What makes the Gomorrah, these, this writing that we know, that it's a bottom line? Again, how to understand the bottom line, as we see, is uh, next, to, uh, next to impossible. How to understand the bottom line. That's all. That's the effort and the labor that has to go into learning to understand the bottom line from the Gomorrah and how to put it all together. But we accept that as authoritative. Where does that authority come from? Okay, different question. But back to our question, why doesn't it say, Meiku, Moshe will come and answer all our questions in the future. Why are we waiting for Eliyahu? We'll wait for, I mean, if we're waiting until Tukat, it's amazing. Wait for Moshe. So he answers amazingly. He says, no, because a Dayan has to be someone who's involved in that time, who knows what's going on, knows the situation, knows the, I guess, the culture and the trends of those times. Eliyahu, Novi, we know, is still around. He comes to every Bris Miller. He visits certain people. So Eliyahu is still around, so he's got his uh, finger on the pulse of the community. Whereas Moshe Rabbeinu has been uh, niftar. He hasn't been involved in the Jewish community for thousands of, thousands of years. So he won't be able to answer the questions um, properly. I thought that was so interesting because we've been discussing mm. a lot over the last few days how do we fit this in with our culture and the... Uh, and the idea of you know splitting inheritance amongst the daughters as well, when according to the Torah, it's only two sons, and a lot of these. But the the chacham has to apply his um, has to be someone who lives in those times 
and is real and alive in those times and sensitive to the issues of those times. Very important. Again, sometimes it is relevant to say, well, look, 300 years ago the great sage said X. But sometimes saying, well, in, uh, in 17th century Vilna or 17th century Hungary, they paskened like this, or this is how they acted in their community, is in sometimes totally irrelevant to how we should be behaving or acting. And, and I mean, if you think about it, obviously it makes a, lo- a lot of logical sense, but we mustn't use that. I mean, we've got to look on the flip side. When we always do have the concept of the Eurydice Adorus, we generally tend to say that earlier generations knew more and had a deeper understanding. But again, we've got to take that, the principles that they're holding and not the details. What the Chassam Sofer tells you is healthy, what the Rambam tells you is healthy, is not necessarily what a, a doctor nowadays will tell you is healthy. Okay, let's carry on. Atahi Yosva Bevesa. So, you should dwell in my house, Bevesi in my house. One of the clauses of the Ksuba is that the widow is allowed to dwell in her late husband's house as long as she's a widow and also gets sustenance. So Tony Rav Yosef Bevesi below Vivikasi, Rav Yosef says this is specifically in his house, but not in his hovel. I, if he has a tiny house and it's just going to be too cramped and squashed, the heirs can say, you know what, go back home. We want you to stay, obviously. And he says, however, Mazoni Isle, they still have to support her. And they can't say, look, go home and stay at your father's house and we don't have to support you. Where if the house is too cramped, they can send the, their father's widow to her father's house, but they still have to support her. The novel will see Ma Barabashi, Omar Afidu Mazone, Nami Leislei, the Leisil Chazaka Ma Barabashi. Ma Barabashi says they don't have to support her, and the Halacha is not like Ma Barabashi. Ravashi learns this, the, the clause of the Ksuba is, you will live in my house and be supported. So Ravashi says that's the condition. If she's not living in his house, where, she, where it's a hovel and she can't live there, then she won't be supported, but the Halacha is not like that. They're two independent clauses. One is living in the house, and the second one is being supported. While this is novel, as we'll see, generally if the woman wants to leave the house, or there are times when the sons can insist that she stays in their house. <laughs> we'll see later on in the Masechta that the sons, but we'll discuss that when we get there. So, Omar If someone proposes to this widow, and she accepts it, she no longer gets, she gets engaged, Shidduch recommended, she gets engaged, she no longer gets sustenance from the stage, from the stage. Rashi keeps on using the phrase, because it's all covered violets, out of, as long as she's a widow out of loyalty and respect to her husband, i.e. her love and her connection to her late husband, then she gets sustained from the estate. As soon as she's ready to get remarried, as soon as she's taken a step out the door, i.e. she's not that intensely still connected to her late husband, then she doesn't get Mazoinus from the estate. So yeah, as soon as she accepts a proposal, she's not remarried. This would imply as a blanket rule if she does not accept the, uh, the proposal, then she would be remarried. But the Gomorrah is troubled, as we'll see. You're telling me in all, obviously if someone comes to her and says, I've got a good shidduch, she says, look, I'm just still too in love with my late husband, I'm not ready to get married then obviously she should still get Mazonas. But what happens if she says, oh, that's brilliant, I'd love to get remarried. Who is it? And then when they tell her who it is, she's like, no, not a chance. <laughs> so there, she's clearly separated from her late husband, 
her reason for not getting married is who the the, the suggestion <coughs> is. So that can't be. So Omar Avana Lididim unfortunately me neither Marshmul. Now they explained it to me in the name of Marsh from Marshmul explained it to me. He says Omar Mahmas Kleini Bali Yeish Ramazan. She says I don't want to get remarried because of my husband. She says I haven't got over my husband's death. I haven't got over my beautiful marriage I had with my husband. Then obviously she can still get Mazonas. Have a Mahmas Ben Adam. She says no, it's not a good shidduch. Ain't a Mazonas and she doesn't get Mazonas. So that's Mar. That's Shmuel, Mar Shmuel's opinion, again, that as soon as the woman's ready to accept a shidduch, then she can't get mazonis anymore. Omar Abkhizda says if she has, uh, has relations with someone, she doesn't get mazonis. Again, she's got over her husband, so she's, she started sleeping with other men. What that? She shouldn't get she a suboma or mazona. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Once she's committed, no, well, once a woman's committed adultery, she's like torn up her ksuba. Yeah. <laughs> but this is all a woman who had a ksuba, was having mazonas, and now she's gone uh, and said, It says, Omar Rav Yosef, Kichla u Pirchasa Aina Mazonas. Rav Yosef says, It's not. when she started to put on makeup. I, she started to dress up nicely, go out, I, trying to attract a new husband. So he says, now, according to the one who said that once she's been zinsa, then definitely she, if she starts to put on makeup. However, the one who says that she started putting on makeup, just because she slept with someone doesn't mean that she doesn't get paranoia anymore. Oh, my time, what's the reason? Doesn't it sound worse? If she's slept with another man, doesn't that sound worse that she's got over her husband more than if she's putting on makeup? So, very good. No, yeah, it's her answer. Her yaitza took control of her. I, this that a woman would have, uh, would want to have relations, is often because of her yaitza, but not specifically because she's got over her husband. But when she started to dress up and put on makeup, well, that's definitely because she's now trying to find a new husband. It says, The halacha is not like all the above sukhiyas. In all the above sukhiyas, she would still have, all the last three teachings, she would still have mazonas. Rather, it's like Rav Yehuda said, name Shmuel, When she claims her tzuba beveized in, That's when she does not get mazonas. All the above cases, she still gets mazonas. Even though she's kind of alluded to she's prepared to get remarried, she still gets mazonas. Uh, it's only when she claims her tzubi based in, uh, she wants to collect the money and move on. Because I should have uh, emphasized, remember the widow gets her money as long as she hasn't. Um, she gets supported by the estate as long as she doesn't collect her tzubi, the, the money and the dowry, etc. mentioned in the tzubi. Once, but once she claims that in based in, then she no longer gets mazonas. For law, you're telling me she doesn't get mazonas in that scenario. It says, If she sells her ksuba or she um, uses her ksuba as a pledge, or she makes the land in her ksuba as an apotiki. An apotiki is a direct um, mortgage. I Generally, let's say I want to take money for, from you, so you're going to check, do I have something and that you can collect if I can pay back? An apotiki is where I say, if I don't pay back, you can take that item. So yes. she uses the property in Oksuba as the apotiki. So all these cases, she's kind of given up her... She's, she's taken the value of Oksuba and handed it to a third party. Says Laache says, Aino Mazonas, she no longer gets Mazonas. Says this implies honey in Avotovasla. This is specifically where she's given her ksuba to someone else, but not where she's just claimed her ksuba in based in. And again, that would make logic because um, because 
there she's actually given up. Her, she's actually. It's as if the ksuba is already being collected once she started selling it, etc. It says, no, honey, bain the based in, bain shaloba based in. No, these, whether it happens in based in or not. Tovas the based in, in shaloba based in law. But where she claims her ksuba, it's only where she's taken the heirs to court that she now loses her right to Masonis. But as long as she's gone up to them and said, you know what, I'm thinking of uh, moving out, moving on. Can I have the payment for my ksuba? As long as we're still in that stage, she can, uh, without having yet gone to court, she still gets sustenance. Okay, again, for us, as I said, just the way we work with our ksuba and the antinuptial contract and standard, I think there's standard uh, alimony rules and uh, looking after the widow and how all those inheritance, that's not so practical, but you can imagine this being all very practical in a society which follows the ksuba. I'm also important to mention, our ksuba doesn't contain a lot of these clauses. So is that just because our ksuba is a summary and we take them for granted? or have some of these clauses over the generations we've decided to not put those ksubas in? Can you go against the takon if Chazal come along and say, this must be included in the ksuba? Can we say, well, in our generation, rather, don't put it in the ksuba? Those are all uh, important questions you have to ask regarding the ksuba. Um, Uh, ksuba's 12 lines. You're not going to fit all of this in. Is it just 12 lines? No, it gets 12 lines. Oh, no, so ksuba is what the Rav reads under uh, the, yeah, the yeah, English yeah, ones. Yeah. The English ones, the summary, and al ksuba is basically the summary of, uh, of all our discussions. So, uh, there's different kinds of ksubas as well. Yeah, there are different opinions exactly what should be in the ksuba and not. But you've got to. I saw recently there was a. I, I meant to actually save the article, but there was a case in Israel. Did someone post it to the Dafyomi group? This case in Israel, one of these major ksub, one of like the major places which were printing subas and selling them, had left out like a key word. And one of the major poskim said, anyone who has a ksub, one of those subas has to go and get the ksuba redone. All these people are living with invalid subas because they left out a key, a key clause. Um, but yeah, um, it is an important document. It has to be done official, <coughs> as we've seen, and we'll see further, without a ksuba, to a degree they're not married. We'll see that starting over the next, the next peric. So an uh, important uh, document to have correct, and as I said, the, can, how to fit it in with our current society is more tricky, but important to be aware of. So it's okay. Carrying on. Says this, there was a machloikes, the men of Yerushalayim and the men of Yehuda, how to formulate the wording in the Ksuba um, regarding the payment of the Ksuba. I, can this, as we've said, this wife stays in her home, in the home, getting supported from the ksuba, or even if she has to move out because it's a hovel, not a home, um, she gets sustained from the ksuba until she wants to collect. Is the standard line in the ksuba that they can force her, they can pay her the ksuba and stop supporting her? Or is it the standard line in the ksuba that she's supported until she claims the ksuba? Again, if the second, then as long as she wants to be sustained of the estate, she can. Or can the sons, the heirs, push her out, say, here's your money, here's the, ksuba, the value of the ksuba, um, go sustain yourself. So, it my Rav, Omar Aloha Kanche, Yehuda Bishmul, Omar Aloha Kanche, Golu. Rav says the halacha is like the, man, like the ksuba of Yerushalayim, and Shmuel says it's like the ksuba of Golil. Sorry, not Yehuda and uh, Yerushalayim, Golil and Yerushalayim. Rav holds that the heirs may choose to pay off the ksuba and then they don't have to support her. Where Shmuel holds the standard ksuba is that she chooses when she wants to stop, get the get the sustenance and get paid out the ksuba. 
So, I mean, interesting enough, according to Shmuel, oh, the woman can live in the house for 20, 40, however many years, and then often they can not like to be paid maksuba, whereas according to Rav, he paskins like um, Yehuda, as soon as they... Uh, as soon as this, the heirs have had enough, they can pay out the ksuba and support her. I guess it will largely be, I mean, I guess how close they feel. Is it their mother? Is it their stepmother? Or half-mother? I don't know what the correct term is. Um, is how much is this, this expenses? Uh, you know, what's her lifestyle that they have to maintain, etc. But if yeah. she was married for a long time, um, say 40 years or 50 years, yeah. the ksuba is not worth much because... Uh, these days because of the inflation because of, yeah. uh, so, so uh, she might not be able to be sustained from it yeah so then you then and she's then hoping she so then she's hoping that Allah is like smooth <laughs> um, so look some of the parts in her ksube is the land and property that she brought in so hopefully that would have increased with it yeah. but you're right how to deal with the monetary items like when they like a lot of the items are brought in and listed as a value on the ksuba, I'm not sure how they would treat that uh, I was discussing with Mervyn the other day. Yeah, it's a good question. Oh, it was Mervyn or Colin. But yeah, it's a problem because let's say so she brings in a car as new states on Basel, so they write in the car's worth 500,000. Ten years later, that car's worth uh, yeah, 2,000. And never mind that the 2,000 that she could have got in uh, when she got married ten years later is now uh, has a buying power of whatever, 500 rand. I don't know. So uh, yeah, so I'm not sure how they deal with that. Well, I, I think uh, I'm married for 40, uh, 43 years. The, 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 what I put in the Ketuba yeah. is a monetary uh, uh, gift. It sounded a lot of money then. Yeah. But today you can't buy nothing with it. Yeah. I think they, so, they, they, they you've got to give the value that it had then. The, the bowing to the value. I'm not yeah. I know that in an A and C they often do that. Let's say the mm. wife's bringing in something or bringing in an investment. Yeah. Or the husband. It's, it's equal. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't make a difference whether it's a husband or wife in the A and C. Um, but, um, but there they do put in uh, like clause for inflation or clause for the growth of the investment or whatever it is. But I don't know, in the Ksuba, I'm not sure how it works. But in those days, did they, besides the uh, Ketuba, did they have a will? Did uh, they have like, a uh, Would the husband, uh, <coughs> he got very rich, would he just rely on the Ketuba to leave his wife? Or would he have a will to say, you, you, so you look, know, not man, leave it just to the sons? Yeah, so um, I don't know exactly when they started using some form of will, but no. it does go back at least a few hundred years, but I'm not sure if it's thousands. So no. I'm not sure how far back a will goes. But you also have to remember a Torah will and a, and a contemporary will, how the mechanics and stuff are different. Okay, um, but yeah, so back to where we were in the Gomorrah that can the sons pay out the ksuba and kick her out? Or can she choose that she wants to get sustained by the estate and uh, and only when she wants to get paid out can they pay her out and then sever the ties? Um, interesting enough, also remember the, the mazonas that you'll get will probably be at the lifestyle, as we'll see further down the page, the lifestyle she was used to living. They can't say, well, look, half of the community's uh, getting by on... Uh, or bread and peanut butter sandwiches, so you also have to. If she had a uh, lifestyle of uh, fancy food and fancy clothes and stuff, then that's the level that they would have to support her. Okay, so Babel, Babel and its surrounds, either towns around it, would practice like Rav, either the, the heirs could pay her off and kick out as quick as, as soon as they wanted. Now, Darvachol, Parvdo, Noikushmul. Now, her die and all its surrounds 
practice like Shmuel. There was a woman from Mechuzah who married a man from the Hardai. So now Mechuzah is in part of Bavel, either area where they practice like Shmuel and the Hardai. Sorry. Um, yeah, and. Say uh, yeah, and Nahardai, so Nahardai is where they practice like Shmuel. So she went to live with her husband. There was an argument between the heirs and this wife. Could they pay the Ksuba and kick her out? So, or yeah, remove her from the sustenance of the estate. So they came, Rav Nachman heard from her accent that she was from Mechuzah. So Omeluhu Baba v'chol parvada no karaf. Well, the halachas like Rav. Ah, yes, the sons can pay and... Now you have to go and you now have to support yourself. So Omar Lay, they, they said to her, either people who are speaking on her behalf, but she married someone from Nahardai. I granted her accent, tells you where she's from. She married someone, she went to live with her husband in Nahardai. So Omar Lehi, if that's the case, they pass like Shmuel, but add how far does Nahadai reach? And most of Babel practices like Shmuel. We also have a principle, sorry, um, most of Nahardai practices like Shmuel, and the rest of Bava would not. So, so how far does Nahardai reach? As long as they use the weights and measures of Nahardai, those surrounding areas would be have this halacha of Nahardai that the that the woman can't um, that the the mother the, the wife chooses when she wants to get her ksuba paid out, but until then she can get sustained from the estate. Generally, if you don't know the minag, like nowadays in South Africa, you would follow shmuel. That's the standard halachas. In monetary cases, we follow shmuel. A little bit of discussion here, but that is how we pass it. Just the interesting question here is, or they bring this as this is, has very practical halachic ramifications. You have a Sephardi ma- marrying an Ashkenazi, or an Ashkenazi marrying a Hasidish, or a, you know, uh, someone from Joburg marrying someone from Cape Town or Israel, where they have different minhagim. Which so they bring this is one of the supports that the woman follows the husband's minag. Interesting. I mean, used to be back in Latin Eastern Europe before the war that a, a town or a city had a very set minag and it could go back for hundreds of years. And therefore obviously anyone who moved to that town would have to follow those minhagim regardless of whether they were marrying into that town or not. But uh, it became a lot more confusing after the war when you had I mean, especially they speak about New York as uh, having every single city and Jew from all over the world. So what's the minag of that place? But Ramosha Fadishin, amongst others, still says, well, when the wife marries her husband, she should change and follow his minhagim. Um, it would be, I think Ramosha is fairly extensive in, okay, how long do you wait between meat and milk? That's one of the contentious issues. <laughs> um, you know, she's, she's a woman who kept one hour or three hours marrying her to her husband marries uh, three hours. Um, you know, many minhagim that would have a ramification. Um, generally the halacha is you follow the husband's minhagim. <coughs> I mean, in Torah law, as you've seen, the phrasing of marriage is her moving into her husband's rishus. Okay. Itmar, I'm on a rav omar shami amar ein shami Rav says, regarding a widow, you calculate what's on her, and Shmuel says you do not calculate and deduct what's on her. I, Rav says, she's wearing some fancy clothes, and she's coming to claim whatever it is, 10 million rand from the Ksuba. You take the 10 million rand, minus her clothes. Okay, there's a discussion, is it literally the clothes on her? What about her Shabbos clothes? I mean, in those days, I don't think many people had more than uh, weekday clothes and Shabbos clothes, but obviously there are a few, but nowadays you have a whole wardrobe. But l- let's keep it simple. So her clothes 
according to Rav, are deducted from the Ksuba, and according to Shmuel, they are not. What's the Machloikas based on? Rav says that when the husband gives his wife clothes to wear, it's under the uh, it's under the assumption that we're remaining together. And therefore, as long as she's, again, even though he's dead, but she's connected to the household, her clothes are because of covered by her connection to her husband. Therefore, when she decides to leave, Again, we're speaking about a woman, a widow, so we're not discussing divorce or those sorts, but when she decides to leave, I go and get remarried, then the gift, the condition of the gift falls away. It's given to you while, as long as you're with me. Now, you're not with me, so you have to deduct the value of the gift. Interesting enough, you would still hold that they can't say we want the clothes. They have to let her keep her clothes, but they can deduct the value contract. Where Shmuel says, no, when the husband gives his gift, he gives it to his wife, uh, um... For her. Again, when you give a gift, it's similar, I mean, you give, obviously, with our wives, I think that's more how we view it. We give it, but with a friend, you give a friend a gift. You're not saying, as long as we're friends. You don't, you don't really expect the gift back when, uh, if the friendship falls apart. That sort of, I think that's the sort of concept Shmuel ascribes to you. So, Omar Avin The halach is the other way around with the locket. A locket was an interesting type of worker. It would be similar to like our maid or gardener. You have someone around the house who helps you with whatever you need. After a certain amount of time, not, but not, not like paid a salary or a wage. After a certain amount of time, you calculate, sounds a bit risky, but you calculate uh, for both parties, but you calculate what's fair and what you should pay them. So they come, they stay around your house uh, for a month, you need help in the garden, you need help fixing this, you need help with that, you know, that sort of person. Mm-hmm. And then after the month, you calculate. What happens if he gave, gave him clothes? So um, here we said it's the other way around. Rav bar Avin. Because Rav would hold, again, your wife is, you give it to her assuming she'll remain with you. So when, when she leaves the household, then the clothes come back. Whereas this guy, you know he's going to move on in a few months. So whatever you give him, you're giving him with the awareness that he's going to move on. Shmuel's, Shmuel says the other way around. He says, no, you're here, your wife, you're fulfilling an obligation. So you do that, you fulfill your obligation properly. You give her clothes. You have to provide your wife with clothes, you give her clothes. Whereas this worker, it's no obligation. It's just a nice thing you do that you give him. He's staying at Jenna's getting cold, so you give him a, a jersey. It's a nice thing. So when he leaves, he has to return it. Return it. Rav Kahana, Masni V'chein Belokit. Rav Kahana says, no, the, just as with the, with the widow, we say the same thing with the locket, this water. Or Monach Simna, and he gives a... Wait to remember it is Yasma Varmaloso, this widow and orphan. I the orphan is this worker. I'm not sure I don't remember why it's called the orphan. Shalakupok, they strip and they leave. So that's how Rav Paskins, they take off their clothes, or they deduct the value of the clothes and they have to pay it's deducted from their salaries, or the widow it's deducted from Uksuba. Even though the Mishnah is like Shmuel. The halacha is still like Rav. The Tanan, as we learned in the Mishnah, Echad Amagdish no Chazer beEchad Amari says, Atzmor. If someone dedicates all his property to the Beis Hamikdash, or he he promises to give his Marich, his Erech, remember that's a set value recorded in the Torah. What happens if it's if um, it says Ein Emes Atzmor Ein Lo Lobeksus Ishto VeLobeksus Bano VeLoi BeTzevashet Tzav LeShmon VeLoi BeSandolim Chadoshim Shelochat LeShmon. The 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 gizbar, the treasury, the temple treasury, has no right to go after his wife's clothes or things he's made, especially for them, or shoes they've bought for them, even if they haven't yet worn them. So what do we see on the surface? It sounds like 
Her clothes are considered hers. Again, this husband says, I give everything I own to the Beis Amikdash. The Beis Amikdash are not allowed to go take his wife's clothes. We see they considered hers. That's like Shmuel, not like Rav. So Nachman a very brilliant question. He says, well, once the mission is in line with Shmuel, why are you telling me that the halach is like Rav? So he says, no, Rihita ki me I know Bo Hilchasakai said Rav. Sorry, Lichoira says Omale, Lichoira Kishmu Rihita, Kimianta Bo Hilchasakai said Rav. When you read it, when you just glance through it, it looks at a superficial reading, it looks like the halacha is Shmuel, but if you analyze it carefully, the halacha is like Rav. Again, very important thing when learning Gomorrah. We come out with all halachas, but you've got to be careful because we're just scratching the surface. We're not analyzing the statements and what principles is it based on. So you could actually come out with the hal- wrong halacha. Like in this case, if you read through that Mishnah at a glance, like I just explained it, it sounds very like, like Shmuel. The base the the base Amidash cannot take his wife's clothes, must be, they are hers. It sounds like Rav, sounds like Shmuel. Says, but really, if you're going to strike Rav, why? My time, because when a man gives his wife clothes, it's under the understanding, as we said, that she's staying with him. As soon as she's leaving him, well, then he wants it back. And so in this case, again, he's died. His widow is still supported by the estate, but as soon as she wants to break off from the estate and get remarried, then that condition falls away. And she has to deduct it. So unlike Hegdesh, when obviously he's not... um, Hegdesh, he didn't give the clothes to his wife on condition that he doesn't sanctify them. No, he's given them on condition that she remains with him. So that's why there's that difference, and that's why the halacha is like Rav in this case. Okay, calls the Devei Rav El Yoshev. Have a this case, the daughter-in-law of the household of Bar El Yoshev was claiming her ksuba from the orphans. Uh, she says, I want to get, she said, I've had enough of being staying in the house with you and being sustained with you. I want to collect my ksuba. She says, have a komanti dinner. They came to Beis Din, and Omri Zilalon Mil said to Tizli Hachi, so they said to her, look, it's, it's very degrading for us how you look, how you dress going to court. Come on, put on your nice clothes going to court. So So she went and put on all her clothes. She got dressed up as best as she could with as many of her clothes as possible. Said, and then they came before Ravina who said the halachas like Rav that you evaluate everything that's on her. So it looked, so on the surface they were tricking her into because if you read it again on the surface it sounds like only what she's wearing is deducted. And that's what it sounds like. So the orphans wanted her to be wearing as much as possible. That's not really what happened. Obviously all her clothes are deducted. What difference does it make whether she's wearing that dress or in its cupboard? It has that same condition on it that her husband or the mazonus of the estate gives it to her as long as she's connected to them. So it makes no difference whether she's wearing or not. But what they were concerned is, you know, she's going to lie to the evaluator. They're going to come along and say, so what's the value of your clothes? And she'll say, well, I've got two dresses. they fair quality, whatever, 1,000 rand. And then, but if, they, if uh, the evaluator actually saw them, they're much fancier than she made it sound or whatever. So they were worried that she'd try, kind of like, uh, you know, like you evade taxes. They were worried she would ev- uh, evade the, they were worried that she would evade the, this uh, deduction from Uksuba. There was a cert, there was a dying man who told 
his family to give a dowry to his daughter. Now it seems there was a standard dowry. Don't know what I don't. I, I have heard. I don't know the exact rule that there's like certain standard things in certain communities. The father-in-law gives his son-in-law a set of shahs and a watch and a apartment. I don't know. The, the certain uh, certain communities have a standard dowry. So there was a standard. So he says, I want you to give a dowry to my daughter. To my daughter, Zalmedunya. The value of a dowry went down. I when the father was dying and he said, Give I want a, a dowry set aside for my daughter. And you've got to remember when a, dow- a dying man says something, it's as if it's official. So now she's got this allotted amount for her dowry. But at the time the father died, let's say it cost five hundred Rand or five hundred thousand Rand, whatever it is, to get the items for the dowry. But now all those items have gone cheaper, so it would only cost them two hundred thousand Rand. So so what's Omaravidi Baravin Puranali asked me? The orphans get the, pay, the, the profit. Uh, when the father said, I want my daughter to get a dowry, he's not saying the value now of a dowry. He says, I want her to get those items. So whatever those items cost is what the orphans have to lay out. Yeah. And if, uh, if, the, if the items are much cheaper, or it's, it's near Black Friday, so they're getting all the items for much cheaper when she's getting married, then they score. They don't have to buy her extra things or give her extra money over and above those standard items. There's a case where a man said, unless I can work out, oh, yeah, says, I want to give 400 zoos of wine as a dowry. And the wine went up in value. Rav Yosef said that the prophet goes to the orphans. What happened here is he's not saying I want my daughter to take one as her dowry. Not a good foundation for a marriage. Um, too, too much one. But what he's saying is I want that one as a guarantee for her dowry. So obviously she's going to get a standard um, dowry and they'll sell off one to pay for the dowry. Now whether the one's going at 100 rand a bottle or 200 rand a bottle, that affects the orphans. They just have to sell it to raise the funds for the dowry. The relatives of Rabbi Yochanan had the father's wife who was ruining them through her mazonas. Her lavish lifestyle was just too expensive and she was eating into the inheritance. Remember, as we've learned, a woman can stay connected to the estate as long as she wants until she wants out. So (coughs) what do they do? Their, Their father's wife is living like a queen. She's living in the most expensive neighborhood where everything's so expensive she's buying the fanciest food and the fanciest clothes and it's their obligation to support at the lifestyle she's used to. But they're really not going to have any inheritance left at the rate it's going. So they worried while their father's still alive. So he said, go tell your father, go tell the father that he must set aside a piece of land for her mazonas. I, the idea behind Rabbi Yochan, we'll see he messed up, they messed up in the language, but the idea in the technical reading of the clause that they think, but the idea behind Rabbi Yochan is um, a woman is allowed to waive her ksuba in exchange for a set gift, a set thing. So what they want, what Rabbi Yochan is suggesting is get the woman to waive her right on for this specific plot of land. Therefore, depending on her lifestyle, will be how long she has uh, she's sustained for because she's only able to the, the idea is yeah, let her accept that piece of land and whatever the rental income to live off and not in place of her 
right to be sustained by the whole estate. So there's also the coming to Reish Lakish, they went before Reish Lakish. Omalahu Kolsha came to Sheribel Amazonas. She says, now you've increased her Amazonas. Because not only does she now get her standard Amazonas from the estate, <coughs> she gets exclusive Amazonas also from that plot. They said to Reish Lakish, but Rabbi Yochanan didn't say that. Says, so Reish Lakish told them, go and provide the father with this food. If not, I'm going to beat Rabbi Yochanan out of your ears. I'm going to beat you until you provide her again with the normal sustenance, plus the exclusive sustenance from that field. They came before Rabbi Yochanan and told you know, Reish Lakish just retracted, told us we can't rely on that. There are, I guess, obviously, she's not going to go with the Rabbi Yochanan's relatives to decide the ksuba. So they went to ask Rabbi Yochanan his advice, but when it came to the based in, they went to Reish Lakish's based in. And Rabbi Yochanan, then they came and told Rabbi Yochanan what happened. He says, well, I can't argue with Reish Lakish, she's equal to me. So what, so what was going on? Again, Rabbi Yochanan said, let the father designate a specific piece of land which will be in place of her mazona. She will only be able to collect her sustenance from that plot of land, either rental income or the harvest, whatever it is. Whereas Reish Lakish came along and said, no, you've doubled, you've, you've given the girl, the, this woman more. Now she can collect her regular mazonas plus that. So what was really, what went wrong with Rabbi Yochanan's idea? So Rabbi Avu explained, in the name of Rabbi, said Rabbi Yochanan explained to me, Omar Lumazonas, Ribal Amazonas. If she says for Mazonas, he's adding onto the Mazonas. Omar Bimazonas. But if he says in Mazonas, I in place of the Mazonas, Kotsas Lumazonas, then he's limited her. Either way, the, fa- the way they told the father to express this condition was wrong. If he says give her this field for Mazonas, well then he's saying she gets a regular Mazonas plus this field. But if the father should have, fra- they should have told their father to phrase a clause, give this field in place of the Mazonas. Or as, as the Mazonas. part of the Mazonas. Not as part. Uh. As the Mazonas. Because as part of the Mazonas means she gets a regular Mazonas plus exclusive rights to that field. So that's don't say in part. Say as the Mazonas or in place of the Mazonas and that's then she would be limited to that specific land Hodron Olach Nara Hodron Olach Nara Hodron Olach Nara I was hoping to start the new mission but we'll leave it for tomorrow it's a short daf Good morning Shavua Top today's daf is daf Samach um, we'll start right from the end of the Nun Tesamud Beis 59b um, the, it starts with a quote from the Bryce Im Hoyo Makiro if he recognizes her the Halacha the mission was discussing um, well, the, yeah, the mission was a change round. Up to here, we, a lot of what we've been discussing is the husband's responsibilities in the marriage regarding uh, Mazonos, etc. He has to provide for his wife's support, etc. Now we're switching to what the wife's responsibilities are. And one of the things it mentioned is to nurse the children. And then we went into a brace of what happens if a woman takes a nether that she will not nurse her children. Can the husband force her to? Etc. But comes along, so the Gemara said, uh, the Bryce has said that if the child recognizes, let's say they're getting divorced, so now the husband can't impose the authority of the home, that the wife, one of her responsibilities is to nurse the children, he can't force it anymore, then he would have to find a way. Let's say she says, for whatever reason, she refuses to nurse the child. Interesting, because I think it's their child, as far as I understand, but she refuses to nurse the child, then it, she would have to find a uh, 
a nurse to look after, a wet nurse to nurse the child. And then the bride mentioned, however, if the child recognizes the mother, the child's not going to be happy to nurse from anyone else, then they can, obviously the husband has to pay the wife to, or his ex-wife to, but they could, Beislin will force her to nurse the child. So the Gmurah's top of Dach Samach, Ad Kama. How, until when, how, how long, what, what age does a child start to recognize its mother that it's not going to be happy to nurse from anyone else? So, Omar Rabba, Omar of Yirmiya Bar Abba, Omar Rav, They said in the name of Rav, three months. Shmuel Omar, Shmuel said 30 days. Rabbi Yitzchak, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yitzchak said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, 50 days. So we have Rav who says three months, Shmuel who says 30 days, and Rabbi, Yitzchak, and Rabbi Yochanan who says 50 days. Omar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak, and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Simi, the son of Abai, said the halacha is like Rabbi Yitzchak, I, in, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, i.e. 30 day, uh, 50 days. Now the Gomorrah just wants to analyze the Machloik. It says, Rabbi Yochanan and Rav make sense. You're going by how smart the child is. Uh, a, a, a sharper kid will start to recognize his mother and be attached to her after 50 days. And, uh, and a, not a sharp kid will only after three months. Okay, and their discussion would be at what point should we be concerned that the mother is, uh, that the child recognizes by the, do you go by the, the high average or do you go by the lower percentile? But that's, that makes sense. Why are their numbers from El Shmulki, But according to Shmulki, you ever found a child who's attached to its mother by 30 days? And ki also rami bar So, I mean, I'll tell you this. Never ever tell a mother that you think her child, even after one day, that the child doesn't love her more than anyone else. Um, you'll run into serious trouble every... I, I'm not sure what they say nowadays, but uh, they speak about the importance of holding the child as it's born. I don't know, is that just for comfort of the child or because it knows its mother? Sometimes they say it's used to the mother's sounds and stuff from the womb, but... Here they seem to say it's take the Gomorrah takes for granted that the child won't know its mother, unless maybe it does know recognize its mother as where it gets food from. But within a, but if it's still within 30 days, it's not attached to the mother that it can change to another wet nurse. Okay, not something to think about. It says but so he said but so we were saying but according to Shmuel, it's difficult. Where, where's 30 days from? So he says Rami Bar Omar says, don't listen to the rules, the halacha. Rami Bar Yechezel came along and he says, don't listen. Whatever my brother Yehuda says, don't trust him what he says in the name of Shmuel. says, hacha amar Shmuel. Shmuel actually said the following. Called Manche Kira. You go after when the child recognizes its mother. So who would ask the Kameh the Shmuel? This case came before Shmuel, exactly the same case. The husband and the wife were getting divorced, and the wife was refusing to feed her children. And the husband said, no, she must nurse the child. Sorry, she must nurse the child. So they came before Shmuel, says, Oma Leila Rebdimi Bar Yosef, Zil Bodka. So he, Shmuel told Rebdimi Bar Yosef, go check her out. Go see if the child recognizes it. So how did Rebdimi carry out his mission? He says, he got a whole lot of women to sit in a row, a few women to sit in a row, and he would put the child on each of their laps. When he reached 
the actual mother, the child started to look up into her face. I, when he put in the other woman, it was uh, indifferent. And then in the mother, it started to look up. So the mother turned away from the child. I mean, she didn't want to have to nurse this child. So she was trying to, you know, show that. So she turned away from him. So He said, no, lift up your eyes and go feed your son. He worked out. You could see that the child responded to who its mother's was. And therefore, he said, you have to feed it. Oh, so we know, Yana. He says, How's it, how are we going to do this test if the child's blind? So he says, no, I'm a Ravashi Berech of by smell and taste. I, a child recognizes its mother not by seeing necessarily by seeing its mother, but by smelling its mother. So therefore you could still do this test to determine again if the child, because once it reaches that age, it's going to be, I guess, traumatic for the child and it might not even feed if you give the child to another woman. So therefore you can force that woman to nurse the child. You can force her. Obviously you'll have to pay her, but you can force her. Okay, next piece, Ton Rabonin. Says you can nurse a child for 24 months, and from then onwards, it's like feeding him non-kosher. Shekets is like the term for like uh, insects and sea creatures and stuff like that. So if you feed a child beyond 24 months, it's like feeding him shekets. No, you can even feed him for four or five years. Piresh la'acher esrim va'arba chaydesh v'chazar k'yoyneg sheket. If he separates after 24 months, I, even though Rabbi Yeshua says you can feed the child up to four or five years, if you stop feeding after 24 months and then you go back to nursing the child, k'yoyneg sheket. That's like feeding him non-kosher. So that's the... Uh, and they both agree. Yeah, so interesting. The first opinion says you have up until 24 months. Feeding your child after that is is almost like feeding a non-kosher. Rabbi Yeshua's Mahmolini says, no, some children actually need to be nursed for longer. They need, I guess they need the nutrients, the strength. So you give them four or five years. I guess again, depending on the child. And uh, But if after 24 months you did stop feeding the child, you can't go back to nursing that child. Once he stopped, even though Rabbi Yusha says you have up to four or five years, once he stopped, he stopped. You telling me that nursing a child after, depending on the, the opinion, but after a certain age is like feeding them non-kosher. He says, I'll show you a contradiction. And this is basically the source that uh, um, that uh, uh, Breast milk is actually kosher. You might have thought that the milk of a human, something that walks on two legs, is tomei and it's actually logical. If by a non-kosher animal, you are lenient regarding touching it, an animal while alive cannot become tomei. We know people are subject to tumor. But animals are not. And a living animal can never become tome. So you are lenient by those laws. But you're strict with its milk. Any milk from a non-kosher animal is not kosher. So A person who you strict with its becoming tome, I a person can become tome. You know, nida, zav, zav, they touch a corpse, etc. People become tome. 
So you're strict with that. You should definitely be strict with this milk. Now, personally, I don't really understand the comparison. The one's the laws of Tumah, and granted we refer in the Torah, whenever it's referring to non kosher animal, it refers to them as behemotumeas, impure animals. But it's a different type of impurity to the impurity of touching, what we generally refer to as impurity and non-kosher. They're different. So just because we're strict in the one, why should we be strict in the other? Like I can't, uh, I don't, I don't understand the question unless Tumah is a lower degree of non-kosher and non-kosher is a high degree that you can't even eat it. But I, I, I don't know the exact comparison. But either way, the Gomorrah, this price is taken for granted. We're lenient by animals saying they can't become Tomei and nevertheless their milk is still non-kosher, Tomei. Well, then by a person who is so strict and say that they can become Tome, the milk should definitely be treated as non-kosher. So, Talmud Lomar, Es HaGomal Kimala The camel which chews the cud, i.e., we are... Um, this is, it, it says twice about camel being kosher. Not that you can't eat a camel, it's not kosher. And the second time we say is to teach us that it's specifically a camel who tomei ve'ein chalam that, uh, sorry, the, sec, the first possible by camel is to tell us that camels are non-kosher. The second possible by a camel is to tell us that the milk of a camel and obviously any other non-kosher animal is not kosher. And there it emphasizes in that possible who. It says who tomei ve'ein chalam time tomei. It is tomei and the milk of a of a something of a human, I had something that walks on two feet, is not Tomei. Ela Tahor, it is Tahor. Yochal Oitzias Achalav Shaino Shove Bechol, Belah Oitzias Adam Shehu Shove Bechol. You might have thought that I should exclude the milk, which is not equal in all cases, but maybe Dam should be excluded from the Strosha because it is equal in all cases. What do you mean by equal in all cases? Only the milk of non-kosher animals is non-kosher, but the milk of kosher animals is kosher. So it doesn't apply in all places. We see it's lenient. Unlike dam, the blood of any animal is forbidden. So maybe by milk we can go lenient and say a human's milk is kosher, but by an animal we should be strict. Uh, sorry, but by the blood of a human we should be strict and say the blood is not kosher. Says Talmud Lomar, who? No, okay, the Torah limits it with the word who. The blood of a human is actually tahor. Um, sorry, yeah, so, so okay, we'll, we'll come back to these points when we discuss the, the, the more closer to the halacha. But just interestingly, why does it refer to a person as a mahal cheshtayim? That's a weird, just call it an adam, a ish. Isha, why is it referring to it as a thing that walks on two legs? So I thought the Torah to Mima brings a fascinating uh, suggestion in another Midrash. He's explaining another Midrash. There, uh, there the explanation wouldn't fit in here unless here's just a borrowed term. But there he says it's discussing whether you can eat human flesh, if I remember correctly. I say that humans are non kosher. And then he brings that there was this ancient tribal of the Avodazara who were basically like animals. So you might have thought, so Mahal Cheshtayim, you wouldn't refer to them as people, how they lived and how they behaved and stuff. And therefore, um, therefore it refers to them as Mahal Cheshtayim, things that walk on two legs, not as people. Quite an interesting uh, midrash, something to consider that. I mean, if we want to take it to the other extreme, we can say there's there's harsh Musar here. You know, sometimes you get people and sometimes you get Mahal Cheshtayim, they're animals who walk on two legs. 
We have to make sure to rise ourselves, uh, to elevate ourselves, and to make sure that we're people uh, worthy of uh, that title. And uh, I mean, I guess that is a responsibility. We have to serve Hashem, and we have to make uh, wise decisions, and we have to think before we act. But there's, uh, on the, we can go to that. Some people, sadly, are very close to, uh, hard to say this, but you, you see it. You see some people, the way they behave. And then how they think and stuff are very close to animals. Okay. Tome ele stein, tome ele toha. Okay. Now for Omar Abshay says, I feel mitzvah's prisha einbo. says, regarding the breast milk, there's not even a mitzvah to separate from it. Rashi explains, there's not even a mitzvah midrabbonon to say that it's also. So again, so we said higher up on the page that to feed a child after a certain age is like feeding him non-kosher. But we just brought this brisa and Rav Sheish has explained it, that there is no isur in breast milk at all. It's 100% kosher. It's mahadrin. So why? What, what do you mean? This is no lo kasha, hoda parish, hoda lo parish. It's not difficult. Here is where it is separated. And here is where it has not separated. I, where the milk, where the person is nursing from the mother, that could be kiyonek sheketz. That would be a isudrabonin, that is like non-kosher. Again, we give a leniency up until a certain age. The child is allowed to nurse from its mother. From then onwards, anyone else who would nurse straight from a woman would be similar to non-kosher. Hodel, that's if it's not separated. But if it has separated, then it's fine. So, I mean, it's, it's not something we would think of doing, but strictly speaking, if you have a glass of breast milk, it's 100% kosher. That's the, that's the, seems to be the bottom line. Interesting. Um, yeah, so... So, so I'm, not, I'm not clear why. Why do we make this distinction that whether it's separated or not separated, the one suggestion I saw, I think it's from the Rosh, is that um, when it's separated, people might get confused and say, oh look, you have a, so let's keep it to a young child. You have a young child, uh, a, uh, a child of uh, seven nursing from his mother. Clearly the milk from creatures you can't eat is not a problem. You might get confused. Oh, well, you can't eat a person and he's nursing from his mother, so maybe you can nurse from other animals. Maybe you can have the milk of non-kosher animals, whereas when the milk is separated in a glass, you can't tell the difference. So that, that was a suggestion, but I'm not sure yeah, why should there be this xayra that, uh, against a child nursing from his mother. Um, I'm not sure. Okay, the chilufa bedam. Blood is the other way around. Again, remember in the price we mentioned that blood is also, human blood is also kosher. But it's the opposite way around. I, by milk, if it's still attached to the mother, then it's osir. If it's separate, it's in a glass, then it's fine. And dam is the other way around. It says if there's blood on a loaf of bread, you scrape it off and you can eat it. I, let's say someone takes a bite into a piece of challah and they see that their gums are bleeding and now there's blood on the challah. So you cut off the blood, you can't eat it. And then you can eat the rest of the piece. But if it's still in his teeth, you can suck it and you don't have to worry. So if your gums are bleeding, you don't have to worry about spitting out the blood. It is kosher. So now we have to look and say, so what's the difference? Why about blood if it's separated? Is it a problem? So Rashi over here says, because it looks like you're eating blood. And blood in most cases of any animal is also so you don't want to have people seeing that they're eating blood. But again, if it's in the mouth, you can't see. It's an interesting thing. The language Rashi uses is see. You don't want people to see. Now, um, 
which implies that it's Kuzul Maris Ayin. We're going to come onto this principle again a bit lower down the page, so that's why I want to mention it here. There's a principle, if there's certain things we're not allowed to do because people will think what you're doing is also. It looks like what you're doing is also. So, for example, I mean, Tosses bring this on another case further down the page, but if you, your clothes get wet, or you have wet clothes, so you hang them up on Shabbos, hang them on the line, you're not allowed to do that because it looks like you did washing on Shabbos. You know it was because the child, I don't know, dropped them in the bath or you didn't get time to hang them up on area Shabbos, whatever the reason was, and you didn't do But you're not allowed to do something that looks like you're doing an Isu. And therefore, you would not be allowed to have blood, eat uh, human blood because it looks like you're eating blood of an animal. Um, that's what it sounds like. There, and one, so two interesting points on that. One is, we generally have a principle. Anything that is also because of Maris Ayin, because it looks like you're doing something wrong, is like Filu Bechadre Chadorim is also. Even in private is also. No matter how, so why all of a sudden if it's in your mouth, is it okay? You wouldn't be allowed to hang up washing in your bedroom in the, in the, you know, in a room in a room, in the most secret place. So I saw Rav uh, Rav Asaman in Koi Shurin, he says the distinction is, in a bedroom, no matter how private it is, there is a possibility that other people will be there. Are you marked, a friend marked, pop by, or something like that. But in your mouth, it's impossible that anyone will ever look or see there. So that's why he says it's not a problem necessarily in your mouth. Another interesting ramification is, what about if you have like blood on your finger or something? You know, people often suck when they got, they got that. So according to Rashi, it seems like it could be a problem because it looks like you're having blood. Unless, I, I was thinking, someone who brings Tosos elsewhere say the reason is, uh, uh, what was it? Yeah. Tosos elsewhere, maybe from Rashi you could also say this, it's just they're not as keen to say it in Rashi, but Tosos elsewhere say when it's a human, when it's your, his gums are bleeding, or maybe your fingers bleeding or something, it's clear it's from a human. Right? So you don't have the concern of thinking it's from an animal. If you have a little, I don't know, bread with blood on, you have a glass of blood. A, a person might not realize, oh, that's human blood and think that it's animal blood. But where it's literally coming from a wound, there's no mistaking it. Okay, that would all be the din of whether blood is kosher or not kosher. Um, it is, it seems very clearly from here, it is kosher. You could, if your teeth are bleeding, you don't have to worry about spitting it. Your gums are bleeding, you don't have to worry about spitting it out. Might even be able to suck the blood off a wound. Um, but then there's another question is, it just seems very repulsive. That's something else to consider. Even something that would be acceptable, if it's repulsive, then it could be forbidden either because we're not supposed to be repulsive or because you're not supposed to make other people feel repulsed. But uh, that would not be... Technically, blood is kosher, and technically these are the scenarios where you could have blood or could not have blood. Is it only non-kosher to you? Uh, is it only kosher to you? Uh, like if you cut your finger and you're making a salad or yeah. So I'm saying from a technical point it seems I guess if you like rinse the salad and you can't see the blood then it would be fine. Yeah. It doesn't like I mean we don't see a distinction between whose blood it is or whose milk it is. Yeah. We don't see that distinction. I mean from the other hand from diseases and those things I'd be more careful. And uh, also as I said, just what's considered repulsive to people is yeah. also we also have to be sensitive to even even things that are kosher, like uh, they discuss Shulchanarov discuss swallowing fish whole. Mm. Uh, technically, if it's a kosher fish, fish don't need shkita. Mm. 
that you can swallow it whole and it's fine. But it's bull, but that's disgusting. So you're not allowed to do things like that. So, I mean, in my mind, eating blood would be along those lines. And except in the scenarios where like someone's got blood on their teeth or sucking their finger, but in all other cases, I think it might fall into the category of being uh, falling into that. Um, what's it called? Bowel, uh, might be called Baltashaktu, but uh, it's brought as a issue. You're not allowed to do things that are repulsive. Okay, let's go. Now we're going to discuss other halachas. Um, seems not in line like this. The one connection that's brought is it's all. Rav Yosef tells us the halacha. But let's see the other halacha. This is Oma Mar, Rabbi Yoshua, Oimem. Mar said that. Rabbi Yoshua said, I feel, oh, sorry, we're still back in our previous discussions. Rabbi Yoshua says, I feel Arba Vachamay Shonim. Rabbi Yoshua says you can nurse a child even for four, 20, four or five years. Even if he's walking around with the, I thought this meant his backpack on his back, like a child's old enough to carry his own stuff. That uh, you see nursery school, you see the parents walk in with their children carrying their children's bags. When they're old enough to carry their own bags, says you can still feed them. Or you could say Chavilosov also has more connotations or maybe even putting the child to work. <laughs> um, you know, in those days, the uh, children had to go out and work from a young age. As we saw, there's only as we saw early on in the sector, a father only has a responsibility to look after his child up until six. So by four or five, he's got to start training him as a porter. Um, maybe that's what Chavilos is. But, uh, but either way, we're speaking about a child who can carry his own, his own bags and stuff. So not four, it sounds like much older than four or five, doesn't it? So it's no, Iribiri, Chachiru, who actually it's the same amount. And Omar Rabbi Yosef, Halacha, Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says that Halacha is like Rabbi Yosef. That really you can nurse a child up to four or five. Tanya Rabbi Marainus Oimer Goneach Yoyne Chalav B'Shabbos. If someone has this disease that's making them Goneach, they're allowed to nurse milk on Shabbos. Now Rashi explains they're nursing straight from the goat. I sucking the milk straight from the goat. My timer. Why is he allowed to suck the milk straight from the goat? Now the problem is um, it's Mefarek. Mefarek is one of the 39 Malachos um, told of Dash separating the food from its source. I just says you're not allowed to take a grain out of its kernel threshing, so to taking the milk out of the udder is also, or out of the breast, is also threshing. So, No, nursing directly from the animal is like mefarek um, in the unusual manner. Mefarek in the unusual manner and in that case, the rabbis didn't make such a gzaira. Um So that's what—that's how they learn this. I was—I was quite surprised. I mean, it doesn't mention. Maybe we need to see the context, or whatever. It doesn't mention Shabbos at all. But it's definitely—it's um, definitely everyone learns it as referring to the halachas of Shabbos. Again, someone sick on Shabbos, they've got this gonach. It's making them groan, making them short of breath, whatever it is exactly. And they need to um, have goat's milk so they can suckle directly from the goat because that's the unusual way of doing it. To get a glass of goat's milk and drink it, to, to milk the goat into a glass and drink it, that would be the normal way, which would be Isidor on Shabbos, and you wouldn't be allowed to do that. Um, interesting now, but uh, this, this halach has a lot of practical ramifications about a woman who's nursing and needs to pump. We had this with Azriel David. When he was in the NICU, so for the first 
good few days weren't even allowed to hold him. So he had to, uh, Gina um, had to pump and then they put it in a bottle and they give it to a, yeah. a baby. Um, and so that's one thing. And then even for Shabbos, it gets so. So firstly, could you do that on Shabbos to give the baby milk? And yeah, other scenarios where the woman needs to uh, pump on Shabbos, um, there's generally two reasons. Either because of their pain, if they don't, if the child's not nursing and they have milk and they don't uh, express it, express it, it gets very, very painful for them. Um, or because the child needs the milk. So are they allowed to nurse on Shabbos? Uh, or sorry, express milk, pump on Shabbos. The, it was interesting enough, it was also very recently, I, read, I was reading in America, it became a huge issue because they had a huge shortage of formula. So it became that much more essential for women to not waste any breast milk. So again, they were asking questions, what about on Shabbos? So firstly, if the child doesn't need the milk, but it's for the huge pain of the mother, obviously you try to do it in an unusual way, one would be to put, they say, like put soap in the bottom of the bottle, so as the milk goes out, it's ruined. And that's not the normal way of expressing milk. Expressing milk is so that it can be drunk. So if you do it in a way that it gets ruined straight away, that wouldn't be a problem. Where the child needs the milk, especially when it's a very young child, we say that that's the child's source of nutrition, and you would be allowed to do it. And then there's a discussion. I mean, interesting enough, it might actually be better to use an electric pump because that's more indirect. The pump does the pumping. Whereas if it's a manual pump, even though you're not using electricity, it's the mother or the other person doing the pumping, actively taking it out, so that's more problematic. Um, just interesting halachas too, that are actually very practical and quite relevant um, about expressing milk on Shabbos. Omar Rabbi Yosef halacha Rabbi Marainas and Rabbi Yosef said that is like Rabbi Marainas, that, that he's allowed to suckle, in the case the Gemara was discussing, he's allowed to suckle directly from the goat. Tanya Nachumish, oh, interesting enough also to be aware that we do have the general rule, you're not allowed to do anything Mishum Rafua on Shabbos. So how does that fit in with you? So maybe one is once it's an unusual thing, it's not fine, but also we generally say there's very simply, again, they're quite complicated halachas, but very simply there are three levels of Rafua of sickness. Um, highest level is obviously if it's dangerous. Then you do whatever needs in even Isurei Doraisa and drive a person to the hospital. You can operate on them. You cut things to operate. You know, whatever you need to do if they're in danger. Um, even Isurei Doraisa. Um, on the other extreme would be someone who's just like a little bit ill. I've got a little bit of a headache. I've got a little bit of a sore throat. Scratchy throat. You know, those sort of things. Their fingers, they sprain their finger. So there you would not be allowed to do Dvarim Mishum and that's the Xayra of when you're not allowed to do things. The middle category is someone whose like whole body is sick. Like they got bad flu or you know, with their whole body sealed or they got a bad, bad migraine that makes their health totally debilitated. Um, either that they would lie down because of how sick they are. They normally wouldn't, like they might push through, but they feel like they're really pushing through to get through without having to go lie down. Then any, any Isurei Drabon would become permitted. And that's what we're doing, dealing with here. Okay, let's carry on. Tana Nachum Ish Galia Oimer. Nachum Ish Galia taught. Again, another halacha with Shabbos. Tzino Sha'oloboi Kashkoshim. What happens if you have a gutter that the straw's blocking? So now the water is starting to overflow into your house or whatever because the gutter is not working properly because it's blocked. Now, to fix it, to remove the straw is Makebe It's fixing the, it's making the clee work. 
So that could be a Isidoraisa. So what does it say? He says, you press them down with your foot. I think that's the unusual way to do it. In private, and you don't have to worry. My timer, what's the reason? It's fixing it in the unusual way. I imagine the normal way to fix a gut is to take out the junk, not to compress it that the water can flow over it. Or maybe it's because you're using your foot and not your hand. Maybe there's the double uh, double but you're doing it in an unusual way. And where you'll suffer a financial loss, the rabbis don't make their decree. Now the important leniency, certainly fall away when it's a, when there's going to, when someone's going to suffer a financial loss. Now here we have the same issue that I mentioned up above Maris Ayn. It says, what's the reason? It says you can do this in private. Uh, you, you notice that the water's flowing, your gut is not working properly, and you know when it overflows, it's going to cause damage in your property. So, um, so you're allowed to push it down with your foot in private. It says, but don't we say anything that you're not allowed to do because other people will, when other people might see you, as we mentioned earlier, you're not even allowed to do you're not even allowed to do in the most private room you have. Same rule that we're always once something's forbidden because people might see you and think you're doing an isur, it's forbidden anywhere and everywhere, no matter how private. So all of a sudden it's a mutar. So here Tosos, so this is where Tosos brings, he says, nah. He brings a very, very important principle. I don't know if everyone agrees to this, Tosos, but here he says, this that we say, Maris Ayin, is also even in the most, innermost chambers, I even in the most secret place, is where they will think or learn from you to do an Isur to Orisa. But where it's only an Isur to Rabbanon, then you can do it in private. You can't do it in the open, but you can do it in private in certain scenarios. So here, again, as we said, when the guy's squashing down the straw to make the water flow properly, that's Isud Rabbanon, that's Kala it's the unusual way of doing it. So as long as he's in private, he can do it, but in public he can't. Or, again, don't we say that it's completely Asur? No, people are only going to see him do an Isud Rabbanon, which means you don't have to worry about the Khadre Khadorim factor. So that's a, that's a very interesting uh, distinction. And Omar of Yosef, Rav Yosef says, Halacha ke Nachum Ishgalia. The Halacha is like Nachum Ishgalia. Okay, then we move on. Oh, now we're going back to the point we said. Piresh la'acha eshem v'abachodesh choyzer kiyonik shekets. Even Rabbi Yoshua said that the child can nurse for four or five years. He said if he separates after four or five, or after 24 months, He's not allowed to go back to nursing from the mother. That would be like feeding the child non-kosher. Says Vakama, how long? Like how many? How long if a child stops nursing is he considered stop nursing? What he misses a feed? Does that mean he stopped nursing? Says no. Omar of Yehuda bar Chaviva, Kaimid Shmuel Rav Yehuda bar Chaviva said before Shmuel Shloisha Yomim, just three days. If the child doesn't nurse from his mother for three days. He's over two years old and he doesn't nurse from his mother for three days. He's not allowed to go back and nurse from the mother. Okay, back to our discussion. We know the, the general halacha that we, we actually saw this more in uh, Yavamos, and this is, seems to be where it's primarily from, um, is remember a woman's not allowed to get married while nursing a child. There were two aspects. One, she's not allowed to get married. We'll see. One is she's not allowed to get married within three months of her of her previous husband because we worried she might be pregnant and then you can't do anything. And another one is she's not allowed to um, get married within 24 months of nursing the child because we worried that if she becomes pregnant, the milk will dry up or 
lose its uh, nutritional value, and then the child's going to suffer. Um, so, ton rabbonon may nekesh emez ba'la betoif ezrim ha'bachoydesh. If you have a woman who's nursing and her husband dies within 24 months, harezu loitzis ares velotin asay. She's not allowed to do a rusin or nisuyin ad ezrim ba'abachoydesh until 24 months, according to Rebbe Meir. The Rebbe Yehuda Matzir Bishmona also Chodesh Rebbe Yehuda says it's fine from 18 months. What would we, yeah, we're going to extend this to other people, but what would be the rationale? Because this, up until 20, either, how long is it essential for this child to be nursing for? Is it essential that he's nursing for 24 months, and therefore anything that would stop her nursing sooner than that would be a problem? Or is it just 18 months? Every man holds 24 months and Rebuda says 18 months. Interesting, Rashi says when the woman's married to her husband, either father or the child, he brings it from the Gomorrah, I think it's, I think it's in Yavamash, but when, when the mother's still married to the child or the father, we don't have this concern. If she, if she, we, don't, we don't mind if she falls pregnant sooner than 24 months. There's no issue against that. Because we say if something happens to the milk supply, the father will make sure the child gets his formula, gets his uh, whatever that he discusses, his egg and whatever he needs, his egg and milk, his alternative nutrition. But if it's not his father, either this woman was pregnant nursing this child and then she now remarried another man, he doesn't care about the child. So he's going to say, I don't want to, expect, I don't want to spend uh, the few hundred rand for a small tub of formula every day or whatever it is. It's, um, so, so therefore, where it's, that's why our concern specifically is with another father. So therefore, within 24 months or 18 months, she's not allowed to get remarried. Rabbi Nosan Bar, or Rabbi Yonasan Ben Yosef, Hein, Hein, Dibre Be Shammai, Omar Rabbi, sorry, I left the word out, Omar Rabbi Yonasan Ben Yosef, Hein, Hein, Dibre Be Shammai, Hein, Hein, Dibre Be Silo. Ah, this lines up with the Makhloi, because Be Shammai Be Silo, Shabbat Shammai Oimrim, Eshrim, Arbo Chodesh, Shabbat Silo Oimrim, Shmoy Neh, Eshrim, Chodesh. Be Shammai say 24 months, and Be Silo say, 18 months. And Omar Rabbi Shimon Gamil, I'm going to actually make a, he means like make a decision, but it's almost, see, I want to um, weigh in according to both opinions. According to the opinion, I Rabbi Meir and Bay Shammai, who say 24 months, she can actually get remarried after 21 months. And the Dibra Oimish Bush Moina also Khoidesh, and according to the opinions that say eighteen months, Mutarish also Khoidesh I say that she can get remarried with within within fifteen months. Why? The fish aina khalab nikhar el achar shloishim because the milk does not uh, turn bad within three months of falling pregnant. I even if the woman would fall pregnant straight away, it would take three months, I guess, before the hormones the pregnancy hormones will affect her milk supply. So, if let's say you say the child needs to nurse for 24 months, as long as she gets remarried, she can get remarried at uh, 21 months. Because even if she falls pregnant straight away, and the child, and then her milk supply gets ruined, that'll only happen in three months, when the child is already 24 months. And so too with the 15 to 18. Sorry, Ula said that said that Rabbi Hanina permitted me to get remarried after, to a nursing woman, after 15 months. Aye, so it seems we go like Ramon Gamil in the lineage opinion. It says, I the It's interesting. The farm helper 
the tenant of Abaye came to Abaye to ask him Mishael. He said this question. He says, Can I marry a woman who's been nursing for only 15 months? So Omar Le Abaye said to him, Firstly, when we have a Machloikis Rebbe man Rebbe the principle is we pass in like Rebbe Yehuda. Secondly, another principle we have is when you have a Machloikis Beishama and Beishilal, the Halacha is like Beishilal. And further, Ula told us that the Halacha is like Rebbe Yehuda. And Mar Ukfa said that Rabbi Hanina permitted him to get married after 15, 15 months. I.e., we have all these reasons to Paskin like the lenient opinion that it's 18, that a woman can get remarried within 18 months, not have to wait for 24, not in that, maybe even 15. Says Kol came the Atla Ores. How much more so because you just want to do a Rusin. Again, remember, a Rusin is only, there are two stages of marriage. A Rusin, she's not going to fall pregnant from doing a Rusin. She's going to wear a ring on her finger, and a few months later, up to, as we saw earlier, 12 months later, she'll do get, uh, she'll get, uh, she'll do Nisuyin and she might fall pregnant. So a Rusin anyway is just a precaution, because if you allow her to do a Rusin, she might go through and do Nisuyin. So he says, your plan, we have all these reasons to go linear, plus you only planning on doing a Rusin, you, it's definitely fine. Now, key also the coming to Rav Yosef, when Abaya came before Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef was his Rebbe. And they're obviously discussing, you know, what when, like he, he was discussing with Abaya, this is what interesting, you know, you often meet uh, rabbis and they discuss what interesting questions did you have recently. So Abaya mentioned this question of the Orus, well, his Orus, his tenant asking him about doing a Rusin to this woman within 15, within 18 months of her nursing. While nursing, so Kiyas and the Rav Yosef when he came before Rav Yosef, Amalei Rav Shmuel to Amri Tavayu, he came before Rav and Shmuel. He told, sorry, he told him that both Rav and Shmuel said, "Tzirchel ahamtim esrim ba'arba chodesh, chutz mi yom shenoilad ba'va chutz mi yom shenis aris ba." Says you have to wait 24 months beside for the day of birth and the day that of marriage. I said it has to be 24 months and two days before you're actually allowed to remarry. So Rohat Vasray Abai ran after his tenant. He wanted to try and catch him to tell him, Oh yeah, Paskin wrong. I Paskin like the lenient opinion that you can get remarried after 18 months. You should actually have to go till 24 months. She shouldn't she shouldn't remarry within 24 months. So he says plus a parse. So they say some say he ran plus a parse three parse the omri law, parse of Khalasan said he ran three a whole parse on in sand, the law Adrucha didn't manage to catch him. Now, Omar Abaya, home also to Omar Abaya, he says, Abaya says, oh, this is what the rabbis say. Afilu biyutsa v'kutcha loy lishri inish b'mokom rabbi. A person shouldn't even permit egg with kutach. Kutach is like a multik dish. Now, is there any halachic question to eat egg, which is paraf, with the multik dish? Not such an obvious question. Abaya says, you shouldn't even ask him such an obvious question when your when your rabbis around. Why? No, mishun de merzi ka'af. Not because it could be chutzpedik. It's only chutzpedik if your rabbi doesn't want you to. But if your rabbi said, go ahead, I don't mind you paskening. And that's what we say largely smichis nowadays. It's the Rosh Hashivah, the rabbi saying, we trust, we're letting you paskin, even though we're your rabbi and you're still alive. Another one is saying, we trust your decisions. But it says, lo So it's, so by saying, it's not a, necessarily a problem of, of being chutzpedik. It says, you will not have success. I, the main redoha, anahu, gemirta, 
says, I knew this teaching of Rav Shmuel, Rav and Shmuel, and still I didn't have success in my psak. It seems there's some spiritual mechanism about speaking about that a Rav won't have success. He won't have the siyata dishmaya to issue the right psak. Even if he knows all the right information, and even if it's an obvious question, he won't have the success of coming out of the right psak if his rabies around. That's what Tosa say, um, yeah, so obviously if the Rebbe is not keen for, again, one of, out of Kovach you're not allowed to paskin before your Rav. But even if the Rav is okay with you paskining, Abai is saying still it's a bad idea. I haven't seen, um, it's, it's a bad idea, you won't, you, you will, you're likely to mess up in the Psak. Abai says I had all the information at, at my fingertips, firstly, and I still messed up. Um, interesting, hard to, uh, I mean, I haven't seen people careful for this teaching of a buyer. I mean, all the time a, a Rav gives his Talmudim smicha and they go around paskening without concern. But uh, that's just, um, yeah, that would be a side point. Um, why do we paskin like Rabbi Meir? So remember, we saw this the other day, and we'll see it further down the page. But remember, when Rabbi Meir has a rabbinic stringency, we always follow him. So generally, you're right, generally the is like Rabbi Yehuda, etc., over Rabbi Meir, etc. But where there's a Gzaira de Rabbonon that Rabbi Meir scribes to, we go strict like Rabbi Meir. We'll see that a bit further. It says, but If a woman gave her child to a wet nurse to look after, or she weaned it, or the child died, she's allowed to get remarried immediately again because there's no concern about her milk drying up this is not relevant in these scenarios so Rav Pop and Rav Huna Braid Rav Yeshua we're going to pass like this either we're going to a woman sadly her child died so she doesn't need the milk anymore or she weaned her child after 18 months so does she still have to wait? This old lady said, well, I have the same question, and Rav Nachman forbade me. I, even though I wasn't nursing anymore, he still said I'm not allowed to get remarried until 24 months have passed. Why? But wait, didn't Reish Galusa allow it? And there were cases when the Reish Galusa would give their children to wet nurses to nurse so that the mother didn't have to. The Reish Galusa was like the, the head of the Jews in Babel, so the political head of the Jews. As we're going to see, they were a powerful, um, wealthy family. Um, so they would give their children to a wet nurse to look after, and Ranatman allowed those mothers to get where the case came up to get remarried within 24 months. She so says, "No, shiny No, the Reish Galusa are different because the wet nurse will not pull out of their contract. They'd be too scared of the Reish Galusa. Most times, so you're going to find a nurse for your child, and then what's going to happen? Two months later, she's going to have a better job, or she's going to get uh, deported to another country. You never know. Like she's going to, she's going to find an excuse to not nurse herself. So therefore, they said you're not allowed to. But by the Reish Galusa, there wasn't such a concern. Um, now. Rav Poppy is going to come along and express his answer. Rav Poppa and Rav Huda were going to rule that a woman, if the re- if she stopped nursing, she can get remarried immediately. That's how Rav Poppy and Rav Huda were going to rule. That a woman who stopped nursing, even though it's within 24 months, um, they were going to rule that she can get remarried in the Iyad, except this old lady told them that they don't, 
that they shouldn't. That Rav Nachman didn't allow it. And now Rav Poppy is going to say, why did they have to wait for this, wet, this, this woman to tell them that she wasn't allowed to? They should have worked it out from another Mishnah. That's what you're going to say. And this other mission is, um, yeah, so, 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 so let me just express that a bit clearer. Rav Pop and Rav Huna came along and they wanted to pass in that a woman who's not nursing anymore, even if it's within 24 months, can get remarried immediately. This old lady came and told them, no, Rav Nachman said you're not allowed to, so they retracted. Rav Poppy says, how could they have got mixed up? They should have known the following mission. Let's see, Omalu Rav Pop of Asa, Lloyd Tisburu, Mahodatanya, would you not work it out from the following Brysa? There's Haresha, if the woman was often in her father's house, or there was anger in her home. Or her husband was in prison. Or her husband was overseas. Or her husband was old or sick, or she was barren or elderly, or an islandist or a minor. Mrs. Bala, or she miscarried after the death of her husband, or a woman who could not give birth. And we know the general halacha, we mentioned this at the beginning, uh, much earlier, that a woman is not allowed to get remarried within three months because you want to make sure who the father is. So, what about all these cases where it's impossible that the woman's pregnant from her husband? He's sick, she's sick, she's, uh, he's overseas, he's in jail, um, she's a woman who can't have children. Whatever the, the story is, it's a woman who's impossible to have children. Could she get remarried within three months? Rabbi Meir says no. Rabbi Yossi, Mati, Loris, Rabbi Yossi says she can. Rabbi Nachman says in the name of Shmuel, the halacha is like Rabbi Meir with his Zairas. I will follow Rabbi Meir. But what are we saying? We see Rabbi Meir says we make no... It, once the rabbis have made a rule that a woman can't get remarried within three months, even though they gave the reason because we want to discern which, whether the child is from a first husband or a second husband, so we wait three months, even, the rabbis say that as a blanket rule, even in a case where she could not be pregnant. So that's the Rebbe Meir makes notices. So we should say the same thing. A woman within 24 months, a woman's not allowed to get remarried, if her child is 24 months, we should say it makes no difference whether she stopped nursing or not. It's a blanket rule, Chazal make. He says, Oh, Malay, Lava Data. And they say, Oh, you're right, we didn't think of that. The Hilchas Amaze Mutter Gemal to Osir. And the halacha is if the child dies, it's permitted. But if the child is weaned, then it's Osir. Why? Because if the child dies, there's no, the woman won't end up doing anything wrong. But if she might, if she wants to get remarried, she might wean the child earlier than is healthy for the child. Ravashi says, well, if that's the case, it's even if the child dies, we're not going to let the mother remarry within 24 months because she might actually go and kill the child to get remarried. There was a case where a woman strangled it. Says, Belohi, you don't have to worry about this. Says, that's, that, that, that woman was crazy. It's not normal for a woman to kill her children. You don't have to worry that a woman's going to kill her child to remarry. It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, and that's why. So therefore, only again, if the child dies, we would allow a woman to get remarried straight away. But if the child was weaned, we wouldn't, because a woman might wean her child earlier to, um, to get off, um, wean her child earlier, yeah, to get remarried sooner. If a woman was given a child to nurse, 
Uh, that became her responsibility. She's not allowed to nurse her own child or her friend's child, another child. It says, What happens if they, gave, they go and only give her a little bit of food? Uh, that was a set agreement. We'll pro uh, provide you X amount of food a day. But it's too little and she needs to eat a lot of food. She's not allowed to eat things that are harmful to the milk. She's only allowed to eat healthy food that, or food that won't affect the milk value. He says, Now the Gemara is just going to analyze it. He says, Once the Brizer tells us that if she's, nursing, if she's taken on to nurse another child and she's being paid to nurse the other child, she's not allowed to nurse her own child. Obviously, she's not allowed to. Uh, nurse her friend's child. He says, No, you might have thought her own child, she'll express more milk for her own child. Whereas her friend's child, if there's extra, then she'll give it to the friend's child. So, even, so, so we're more worried about her with her own child. And therefore, maybe you'd permit her to give the extra milk to the French child. No, you're not allowed to. Now, just the second time, who has to provide this extra? We said this woman needs to eat. She's only given a certain amount of food, and she needs to eat a lot of food. Who has to provide that food? She has to provide it from her own budget. Because, again, the agreement was we'll provide you with X amount of food a day. She needs to eat much more than that. Either she should have been more careful when signing the contract. But at the end of the day, it's on her responsibility. And not only that, she's not allowed to eat food. That would affect it negatively. It says, We said she's not allowed to eat food that's bad for the milk. What are they? It says, For example, hops, chazis. I think chazis is unripe grain, um, small fish, and earth. They used to eat earth as certain cures. She's not allowed if she's nursing another child. Even uh, gourds and quinces. Even kora and kufra. Some of the above lists cause the milk to stop. And some of the above list caused the milk to turn bad. Okay, I was hoping to get a little bit further, but I think let's leave it here for today.